Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. Now that that is all cleared up for us, we're so glad that you are catching us online. My name is Brent. I'm the teaching pastor uh, here at the church. And if you're catching us for the very first time, a super big thanks for doing that. Uh, I know you got nothing else competing for your time, but we are glad that you are here. We started a series last week uh, called basically Shiitake Mushrooms. Now what? Um, we, uh, we, we said that there's a, and like a new reality that, that is upon us. And here's a couple of things that are interesting about our new reality. Congratulations, by the way, on two things that are true about our current reality. One, we have never been closer to opening this thing back up than we are today. Now, I'm not making a statement on when or how or whatever. I'm just saying we're further along than we've ever been before. I, I, would, I would guess that we are closer now than we were a week ago, which is good news, everybody. And the second reality that we're facing today is that our lawns have never looked better. At least mine, for sure, is, is the best. And I would invite you to come over and see it, um, but you can't do that. So uh, other than that, we are focusing on what to make sense of this new uh, reality that we are finding ourselves uh, living in. Uh, the series is called, uh, like I said, the Shiitake Mushrooms, a series on flourishing, this idea of flourishing. What does it mean to uh, move forward? Uh, what does it mean to be to have a, a vision of a good life? What, what of our vision of what life is about has changed maybe as a result of this? And, and not that we're like so far past this that we can look back at this objectively, but as we're kind of making sense of all of these things, and I know the next couple of weeks are going to be really big for us in terms of what the new stages and shifts kind of move in to be, but uh, this is kind of part of the process. Hopefully this can be a part of the conversation from a spiritual side of things as we look at how do we make sense of our new reality. Uh, essentially what we said last week was that uh, one of Jesus' disciples uh, summarized for us, to the best of his ability, writing down 20 and 30 years after the fact, the core of what he remembers Jesus talking about. Um, and lucky for us, he's a very structured individual. So if you're like a type A, or if you like bullet points or sections or subheaders or whatever, and, and you like it a little very well organized, Matthew is one of the most well organized, or, or is probably the most well organized gospel of the four different uh, versions of the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John knows the four gospels. Matthew, the very first one, is like, like, hey, he, he ba- breaks it up into five different teaching discourses, um, which is basically Jesus talking in long summary uh, things, and then intersperses it with, and then he traveled here and healed people here and did this, and then he talks again, long, long discourse, long discourse, long discourse. And the very first one is the one we're going to be focusing on, uh, Matthew's chapter five, verse, uh, ch- sorry, chapter five through chapter seven. Um, it's better known as the Sermon on the Mount, if you've kind of grown in church and have heard kind of that, uh, that style before. But essentially, it's, uh, it wasn't, I don't think, I mentioned this last week, I don't think it was a sermon. I think it was basically a collection of stuff. And I think the way, I think cu- there's a couple of giveaways for that. His prefacing, going up on a mountain, is kind of like prefacing like this idea of a new Moses. Um, he opened his mouth and these words came out from him. Um, and then also, the, just the general structure of the way that the whole Sermon on the Mount kind of comes across um, is it reads like um, it reads differently to us than than perhaps the rest of the story, um, but there's something that we probably miss that I think the original audience, the Jewish audience, hearing it that day, would have completely understood. And so, I want to draw some attention to that real quick before we dive into like the actual verses of this. But there were things that they grew up with in their era called basically wisdom texts or wisdom literature. This would be like a collection of the wise way to do life, um, observations on people who are successful, or statements or visual pictures of people who are living the life that we all want to live. 
Um, and based on, um, you know, this was, this was something that was th- taking place in the secular world. Marcus Aurelius had his, Aristotle has his, had his. Um, even Jewish literature had its own kind of version of this. Uh, back in the collection of the Psalms or the songbook of the nation of Israel, the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, reads like a wisdom text. It says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he, dedi- he meditates day and night. And he goes on and on and on. But that very beginning word, it starts off with this word of blessed, or um, in this word, happy. Happy are the people who, who live in, in a way that they meditate on the law of the Lord. Their focus is on God, and, they, and it's on this law that they meditate day and night. They're like, their life is like streams planted by water, which we know water brings life. Everything that they touch seems to be successful. This is not a commendation to these people of here's how you should live. This was for them an observation about somebody who's got it together in life and sort of operates like a picture of somebody who, um, who we should begin to model our life after. And it's not like step by step, here's A, B, C, one, two, three, what you need to do. Um, just like pictures of it in this way. This is observational, not divine blessing, because they had another word for that. This was, um, this was not do this and God will begin to bless you. Um, this was from the ground up. This was just us admiring our common man saying, who do we look at who has a life or a lifestyle that we would like to have or thinks in, a, in a, like a different plane than us and operates in this way? Uh, and as I mentioned, famous ancient, ancient philosophers throughout Greco-Roman history would have had their different versions of this. And so Matthew essentially pieces this together and he steals the very first word from Psalm chapter one, this idea of blessed. Now that's in Hebrew and he translates it into Greek, but that very first word, the happiness, the joy, the makarios is the Greek word for this thing. This idea of look at the happiness, look at the blessing. Blessed is the person who lives in this way. I was trying to think through this week, um, a version, because we don't have like wisdom texts anymore. Um, we would say, you know, there's always people we can point to and say, I admire what they do. And, and I, you could read a, a biog- uh, biography, an autobiography, or maybe a memoir on somebody who's famous, like the uh, Steve Jobs one that came out a few years ago or whatever. And you can be like, there's something about reading some of those things that's like inspiring in that way to, for you to, and you're not like in the tech industry, but you can be like, I loved how he handled this and I want to do something similar. Um, that would kind of be kind of close to it. But the best one I could think of in terms of a presentation of a text like this, a wisdom text, is in this idea of a commencement address. Now, I know like school was canceled and we, we missed all of the commencement addresses or I guess they would not, not have taken place yet, but we're going to miss them. And you're going to say, I, didn't, I, I don't miss them at all because you know they've always been terrible for you. I get it. I'm not talking about your high school one taught by the, you know, the, the janitor or the, the science teacher or the somebody you're like, I don't even know if I like that person. So why would I want to pattern my life after them, right? I'm talking about commencement addresses that when you watch them, you leave feeling inspired. And they're, I know they're kind of sometimes few and far between, but um, they're delivered by someone who in our minds has, quote unquote, made it, for lack of a better word. There's a pathos, a pathos element to this. Like when you see that, they, they, there's something about it. And so for me, just a couple, because I know you've, you're like looking for things to like watch right now, right? Because um, you haven't spent any time in front of the TV. So um, if you're bored this week, and I'll send out links to this, but the commencement address from David Foster Wallace to uh, Kenyon College, this is back several years ago now. Um, he did one called This Is Water. He actually ended up transcribing it into a book, 
one of the best commencement speeches I've ever heard. You listen to that, you read that, and the setting is somebody who has, again, quote unquote, made it in life, looking at somebody who, like, I sat where you sat, and this is the phrase they always use, I sat where you sat 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, however long it's been, and I'm telling you from this side of things what you need to know kind of moving forward. Not what you need to do because the world has changed. The way that I did it doesn't work for you because it's more accessible, there's more money, there's more this, there's more something. I don't know what you need to do, but I'm telling you, I'm offering you a picture of insights into the future. Conan O'Brien did a fantastic one, Dartmouth College uh, a few years back as well. So those two, I'll send links out for this week. Um, They're probably 10 minutes each and you'll love them. You'll walk away feeling so inspired as a result of this. So when Jesus starts off his flourishing talk, he begins with a very, very similar picture on wise living. Matthew collects this for it, presents it in this format that they would be familiar with, and he begins with the Beatitudes or using that same sort of language to clue people in on what's coming. I'm about to give you a picture of what the good life looks like. Blessed, blessed is the person, blessed is the one who does this. The entire Sermon on the Mount rides then on two different rails. This is my proposal uh, for us moving forward for this series. Uh, Imagine like a train or or, uh, a car with like two axles or whatever, but there's two different rails that I think the Sermon on the Mount really focus on in terms of what Jesus wants to communicate or in his time with his his disciples and with his audience uh, in, in, in his formats or whatever, he would say this, I really want happiness for you, but I want a sense of wholeness as well. Um, not just in the Beatitudes, because we're going to move on from that uh, towards the, you know, later on in this series, you're going to see these two things emerge over and over and over again. A picture of what it means to be happy and a picture of what it means to be a whole person. This idea of wholeness in, involved in this. When he, when he says happy, that word blessed comes up. Happy are those who dot, 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 and there's the, the Beatitudes piece of it. And this was, again, never uh, something about earning something from God. If you do this, God will bless you. It's not about it at all. This was always about simply the best way to live in light of the circumstances, and especially, as Jesus would say, in light of the coming kingdom that I've come to kind of enact or effect. This is the best way to live life. True happiness is found when you live in this way. And then this idea of wholeness, or uh, another translation could be singleness of devotion. This idea of I'm an integrated person. I, when I do this, there's like, I do it with all of me. Eventually, we're going to get to a few familiar texts concerning this idea of wholeness in these chapters. Um, the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and says, what do I got to do to earn eternal life after this? And Jesus says to him, you know, give all your money away. And he's like, I can't. I, I've got this dual, duality between my stuff and my devotion to some sort of a spiritual, I'm connected here, but I'm also connected here. And it's like that split split being. Jesus is going to over and over and over again, I want you to live in an integrated being. I want what you do to match up with what you think and what you think to match up with what you do. I want you to be somebody who looks at it and you know who you are the entire time. There is a wholeness involved in this. There's an adage later on about treasure and heart issues where your money goes, your, your heart is there or your heart reveals your treasure, all that kind of stuff. Your treasure reveals your heart on some things. A truism about how what comes out of the mouth is what's reflected in the heart. These are all things that Matthew's gonna talk and put into the mouth of Jesus because he remembers Jesus talking about this because Jesus was passionate about talking about true happiness 
and about understanding and, and experiencing true wholeness. And so those are the directions, those are the rails that it always uh, rides on. Happiness and a sense of wholeness in life. If you're looking for these two things, and by the way, who isn't? If Jesus would say this, if you're looking for happiness and wholeness in life, and who isn't, then listen up. I've got some words for you. That is the importance of Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. So this is an invitation, an imaginative call to be a certain way in the world, to live a certain way in the world. Again, not because God demands it, but because wisdom encourages it. I wondered what, if anything, would change our rereading of this wisdom text in light of our new reality, which is the purpose of this series. Um, I, I said that we've read through, I mean, you probably have read through Matthew chapter five through seven before, you've been a part of a, a series. I think I've probably done, I don't know, three series, maybe four on kind of Beatitudes and or Sermon on the Mount issues or, or things rising up in those, in those things in the time that we've been at church. Um, so this is kind of familiar territory for us, but what if in light of, the flux that we are currently experiencing in terms of reality, um, we would potentially have a new, fresh rereading. There would be a new facet of these things. There would be a new understanding for us. Things that we thought were critical maybe turned out not to be as critical. Things that we thought were impossible um, are now like reality for us. And, And so maybe, perhaps, we are better positioned than ever to hear Jesus out on all of this. So we're going to jump through some of the text now and then kind of take away some implications towards the end. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I talked a bit about these last week, so I'm going to brush through these a little fast. But blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. By the way, um, Scott McKnight is a, a theologian who writes about how these, there's going to be nine of these, and there's like three different triad categories for how these kind of things play out. And they have to do with humility. The first three are all about humility. You can see uh, blessed, lucky are the people who experience humility in, in the midst of all of this. And then the second three are all about justice, right? Look at this. Um, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then the last few, the last three, uh, are about some sort of a, a, a sense of peace. So humility, justice, and peace. If you, can ori- if you can have these things be orienting factors in your life, you'll experience a level of happiness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Now I'm going to come, I want to stop there for a second because this is the interesting piece that comes with these beatitude portions. In every other wisdom sort of text, um, when, when somebody, when Marcus Aurelius or Aristotle or whoever would lead with blessed or happy are those, they would always be like positive sort of things. This was always about, you know, po- you know uh, we're anticipating like the typical things that would result or indicate happiness or joyfulness in life. You know, happy is the person who has the funds and the means to be able to travel the world and see things. Uh, blessed, lucky, uh, oh, the joy of somebody who drives a Mercedes, oh, the joy of somebody who gets very distinguishing gray hair at a very young age for it just communicates wisdom and knowledge and all of these things. All these, all these things that we would say are typical, typical signs of sort of a good life. And yet Jesus sort of flips the script on these things. It would not be weird for somebody like the audience of Jesus' time to sit down uh, on a hillside and listen to a teacher 
communicate all of the good things in life. What would be weird is for somebody to start that way and everybody go, oh, this is one of those wisdom texts. We get it. This is our picture of the good life. And then for him to lead into things about how you're going to be on the wrong side of justice. You're going to be on the wrong side of peace. You're going to be on on the wrong side of mercy. But lucky are you because there's going to be something that that's that's a situation for you to be happy in the midst of these things. It would be like a it would be like a, 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 wait, a, wait a second, wait a second moment. You're saying the opposite of kind of what we thought. Now, uh, we can read these and, and, and really kind of, kind of get there, I think, uh, on, a, a normal, on a normal spot or a normal season in the time before or whatever. But in this time, when everything's a little bit topsy-turvy, the darkness of these, the hopelessness of these can actually, I think, be brought out even more not that like, you know, not that our world is absolutely horrible right now. I get it. Like there's been worse times in history to be alive than, than now, obviously. But in, in these moments, the reality that life is not all, you know, cookies and rainbows, that it can also be, there's an element of darkness. And in these darkness, here's in them, in the midst of this darkness, he's not calling us out of that, think differently or whatever. He's saying rejoice and be glad. Here's, here's Jesus' vision of the good life. When you experience pain and hurt, when you feel lost and hopeless, you know, like the, the, there's a lack of hope or clarity of hope is, is not there. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <laughs> not that, don't worry, um, you know, things are, you're gonna be fine in about a week. Rejoice because there's something for you, but I, like, there's no promise of immediate redemption or immediate relief or absence of pain or suffering moving forward in this way. No doubt some of the promised relief is dependent on this coming age or this idea of, of, of hope, but like, who knows when? Like, what do you mean that in, in the kingdom of heaven, what would you define? Then he would go on later and be, be able to describe the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. But the truism of life is that hope is felt deepest in times of darkness. And so Jesus would say, in the midst of this darkness, you have all the means to be able to rejoice. You may realize in these moments, you are more dependent on your father than you realize. You are more dependent on somebody, a a God who loves you, who has everything in control anyways than you realize. Now, you've always been in that position. That's been true about life since the beginning, but it's in these moments you can begin to wake up. To, maybe perhaps in these dark moments, you can wake up to the reality that that's actually true for me. And you can move forward in this. Or another way of putting it is this. Nothing brings out hope in its fullness, like feelings of being completely lost. And if you've ever been completely lost and then all of a sudden have a glimmer of maybe I got it right. Maybe this is the right direction. Maybe I'm, I'm supposed to, you, you've been down in the dumps. You, there's been there's a marriage that's been lost. There's been f- financial just terror in your life and you're beginning to make small steps forward towards this and you begin to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's an end date to paying off these debts or there's an end date to this or um, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm certain I, I checked into rehab and I've got, now I've got 28 days and I know that this is what it is. This is the goal. This is where I'm headed. There's a little bit of hope and in the midst of that darkness, when, you're, when it's really, really dark, that light shines incredibly bright. We can experience a brightness of hope in those moments that we might not otherwise experience, which is why I think Jesus continues and goes into this next passage, which by the way, 
is a very, very popular one in terms of churches and uh, the existence of a church and why churches exist and what the purpose of a church is. And it can be, it can be sort of divorced from this text that precedes it. And I, I don't know that that's right. I think that to read what we're going to talk about with salt and light and all that kind of stuff is really dependent on understanding the darkness of the Beatitudes to fully understand what he's trying to bring out in this idea of you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. I just gave out away what I'm going to be talking about. But here's what he says in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In these moments, you have an opportunity to be something different, to do something different, to be in the... Uh, to, to live a certain way in the world that gets to shine in a, uh, in a unique way that is very, very visible. It brings out some of the flavors, the God flavors of the world. Eugene Peterson writes that in his version of the interpretation of this verse. Um, you are the salty that's bringing out the God flavors of this world. Uh, and then this idea of no matter how dark it is, this light can shine through in, uh, in the midst of this. As bleak as our outlook can be sometimes, it's in the moments uh, it's in these kind of moments when acts of goodness ring most true. Um, for example, um, in the time before the, all of this, uh, I remember there would be a, like certain things that would get me, right? When you're watching through the videos, you're scrolling through. My wife says I watch way too much, much videos on, on Instagram or whatever. But there'd be a few that I'd be like, I'd stop on and be like, I, like, I get emotionally choked up. Like when the military guy comes home from like a long time being away and the family and the dog sees him and then like, you know, like, every time you read that, you're like, oh, <clears throat> you know, you move on, whatever. There'd be, those would be not like I'm, I'm sick. I'm like, I'm like choked up because emotional anyways. And now what you see are those, but like so many in so many different areas right now. And, and, and that's, fine because, you know, he was away or she was away on, on leave and it's been six months since seeing their kid and that's emotional. But like now what you see are people going to elder living centers and playing tic-tac-toe on the windows inside and outside because they can't make contact, but they still want to spend time and, and make face-to-face contact. Or I, or I see my, my sister take her kids and, and brother, my brother-in-law down to go visit my grandma, but they have to stand, you know, so many feet away and, and sing songs and she sings her songs to the grand great grandkids, excuse me, um, from, from a distance. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that, those videos would not have made as much sense six months ago than they do right now. But what they communicate right now is a light in the darkness, a, 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 a salt that brings out um, care, concern, um, the prioritization of others above self, um, sacrifice. When you see, see stories of uh, men and women in, in our medical fields who are, who are coming home from long shifts and their faces are all just messed up, or you see the numbers of how many of them are getting sick and yet they still continue to show up to work. Like they've been doing, listen, they've been doing that sort of sacrifice and risk forever. That's part of the profession. That's part of the industry. I know it's heightened right now, but like that sort of sacrificial vocational work has always been true for our medical, our medical personnel. And yet in this season, we're like, now we finally can appreciate it. Now we, we appreciate it so much more in these moments. 
I, I think that that is what Jesus is, is communicating in this. Like, listen, there's going to be some dark times in life. You can be happy in the midst of those things. And by the way, um, it, those provide ample opportunities and perhaps the best opportunities you'll experience for being light and being salt in this world. His teachings here are instructions to go forth into the world as heralds of the new covenant that Jesus is effecting. And it's not so much a communication of this too shall pass. Um, because it's not about just season of time. Like I, I know that we're living right now with, you know, well, we're just kind of waiting on Inslee or whoever, somebody to make a decision that we can kind of reintegrate back into some sort of step-by-step thing and, and get back to quote-unquote normal or the new normal, whatever you want to talk about. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, what he's encouraging his disciples to kind of go and do and his followers to say, this is the new way of living in the way of the new era that I'm introducing is not this too shall pass. Um, it's something more. It's something more permanent. It's something more. This is kind of how you're going to continue to live life. Um, in terms of this too shall pass, we understand that seasons change. We understand that new things come and go. We can get that without being necessar- necessarily spiritual, right? I mean, one of my favorite songs uh, from Mumford and Sons is the, the Winter Wind song that talks about this idea of spring, um, swapping snow for leaves. Like, so you didn't come here today for me to open up a Bible and be like, I know we're going through tough times, but don't worry, guys. Over time, everything plays out. That's not, that's not, um, that's not uniquely biblical. That's just life. <laughs> like we get that, um, and, and we can say uh, we we can say, well, that's it's still inspiring, or it's still really helpful to know. But what Jesus is talking about here is, I think, something different. Replace. Uh, re- he's trying to say this: rejoice in the midst of this. You'll be happier and more whole as a result of it. If you rejoice in the midst of this, this is the best way to live. At least if you're taking Jesus. At his word, he's saying, you have a chance in this darkness to be light and to be salt in this world. Eugene Peterson summarizes it for us, I think, in a, in a brilliant way. He says this, scripture does not present us with a moral code and tell us, live up to this. Nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. Rather, the biblical way is to tell a story and in the telling, invite, live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in the God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human. So when Jesus stands on a hillside and he gathers disciples, or in, in terms of what I think probably happened, Matthew remembering Jesus sitting people down and not telling them, do this, do this, and then do this, and then you'll be happy. He's giving them this picture of a person who rejoices in the midst of darkness and they're better off for it. They are more truly happy because their happiness is not dependent on circumstances that benefit them and they're more whole as a result of this. Happiness and wholeness is the steps are the two again rails that Jesus is trying to pull us into, invite us into, invite us into. And so as we continue this series, we'll talk even more about what happiness and wholeness looks like in the way of Jesus. So we'd love to have you back next week for part three of uh, shiitake mushrooms, what next or not what. So 
All right. Um, thank you so much for watching this online. Um, if you get a chance this week, again, I've been asking you as a part of the series to read through Matthew chapter five through seven every week leading up to the talk. Um, so take that as homework and it really should only take you maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. You can even put it on Audible um, if you do the, the, the play. If you need a, a version of it, there's an app called YouVersion, um, which is a Bible app. They can actually read the text out to you. So if you're driving or doing whatever in that way, um, but uh, make sure you're, you're following along with that. Um, if you haven't done so already, there's a connect card uh, below just underneath the screen. Let us know that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, again, let us know you're here. Uh, we're going to donate money to a different organization doing good things locally and globally for the month of April. Uh, we are donating money to Young Lives. It's an uh, extension of Young Life, but it's for teen moms. So let us know you're here so we know how much to donate. And if you have got a question for us uh, as it relates to the message or anything else that you're just wanting to get off your chest in terms of things spiritual or whatever, um, fill that in, in the, in the uh, comment card or connect card below. There should be a bottom box that says, is there anything you want to let us know about prayer requests or life update or whatever? If you will fill any, or write any sort of question in there, uh, Megan, myself, and Mallory do a follow-up podcast on Tuesday mornings called Say Something Interesting. We'd love to field those questions and include them in our conversation as we uh, move forward with the conversation about Sunday and this series and whatever else. But other than that, um, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, we are continuing to kind of be in a holding pattern here. We have no idea when we'll be back to meeting regularly, but we do miss you like crazy. And uh, we are looking forward to the day that we get the green lights. And that will be an exciting Sunday. We will brew extra coffee that day for you guys, I promise. Um, have a great week, guys, and we'll see you out there.